0: We're starting a new series today called The Jesus I Know. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? All right, I'm excited about this series and I'm excited about where the Lord's gonna take us. Over the next several weeks, we're gonna have uh, 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 some several speakers come and share some experiences and some things that have happened in their life that help them articulate who Jesus is to them. And I'm excited about that. But what my prayer has been for Springhouse and for us is that for, it's been specifically two things. The first thing is this, I'm praying that we become a house that has a ready testimony on our lips. I want us to be a house that we have a ready testimony on our list because Jesus is moving in our lives every day. He's the foundation of our lives, right? Now, when we get selfish, as I talked about before, we can pull away and we can get our eyes off of him. But when our eyes are on him, he's moving, he's doing things all of the time. I want us to be a house that we're able to have a ready testimony on our lips. Second is in everything that we do, as we're pulling out of COVID, you know, COVID really slowed the pace of life down quite a bit. That was not a bad thing. That was not a bad thing. As we begin to pick things back up and as we begin to take off again, I so want Jesus to be the center and be the why of everything that we do. And so over this series, as we're looking at and examining Jesus in our lives, I want us to also be asking the question, why do I do what I do? Why am I picking this thing up? Why is this a part of my agenda? We are a church of overcomers. In the book of Revelation, it says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. I'm excited this morning to have our missions outreach, Pastor Alan Smith, come and share with us. Would you please welcome him?
1: I promise, Donnie, I will not mess up your deal. Maybe, kind of. Good morning. Uh, Wow. You women were missed. Welcome home. I'm scared to sit down. and I don't know what to do. I'm all like a cat. Just anyway. Well, hey, would that help? I'm used to the head thing. I didn't do that because I like to hold it. Now I'm holding it out here like this. Y'all forgive me. I am going to sit for a minute, I think. So Housekeeping 101, we start back. Thank God COVID is kind of over. Second Sunday at Traditions is today at 3 o'clock for those that can go. We also picked up another uh, senior center, um, the Waterford, just down the street on C- uh, Cedar Grove. And that is today at 1.30. So if you want to meet me at the Waterford, We're going to sing a couple of hymns, do a devotional, and provide communion for some seniors and uh, just pray with them and bless them. So meet me there. The sign that had my big picture was wrong. It said 3.30 to 4, so I wanted you to know that's at 3 to 3.30 at Traditions. So here we go. Pastor Kevin sent out the sermon schedule, and I'm pinch-hitting today. Really? This should be Pastor Barbie up here today. So imagine curly red hair the long flowing things like she likes to wear. And, um, and Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I love how she does that. And, um, and just imagine it's her doing it so they'll be much better. So there's that. Let's get that out of the way. There's a lot of pressure leading off, man. I never, I like to bat five or six because then we got through the first inning or if, 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 if I get to bat in the first inning, we've got runners on, we scored a run, there's no pressure. Man, if you're the leadoff batter, you better get on base. You better get hit by a pitch. Don't anybody throw anything at me. You better walk or you better get on. So, so Pastor Kevin sends the sermon series out and it says to Jesus, I know. And there's no scripture references. There's no anything. And I'm like, oh, Lord. So then I email him back and I said, kind of, and then I asked him one Tuesday morning at staff prayer, what exactly are you wanting? And he said, I want you to tell your testimony. Just share who Jesus is in your life. I'm almost 56. Some of you are older. There's a lot of Jesus in 56 years. At least in my life, I was born and raised in church. I was born in Greenville, South Carolina, because I want to be close to my parents. And, and then, um, <laughs> seriously, if I could have been somewhere else, I'd been born in Hawaii. But, uh, but, but I, was, I was born in 65 in South Carolina. My family has always been in church. I've got a great-grandmother that was born in the 1800s. Pastors and, and church runs on both sides of my family. So I didn't know anything but to be in the church. Dedicated at an early age, sang my first solo at three. Just, you know, the whole thing. Now it's my grandfather's church. He died the year before I was born, and my grandmother was pastoring. So sure, a three-year-old can sing a solo, but and it may not have been that great, but I don't even remember what it was. But here we go. Um, we were we were a family of modest means. We we were big family on both sides. My father had, he was one of six siblings. My mom was one of five. Um, I know this isn't pit- politically correct, and I've got till okay. I can see the clock. Uh, two of my mom's brothers were mentally retarded. I think somebody told me in first service the new phrase is in- intellectually challenge or something. It was IV or something. So I, I, so don't be mad at me. All I know is mentally retarded. So that's what I'll say during the sermon. Perry and Johnny had the mental IQ of about a five, uh, seven and an eight-year-old between the two. Now, growing up as a kid, that's pretty cool because here's these giant guys, but they're on my mentality level. So, hey, I got big friends. We all lived on about nine acres of land. We co opted about an acre garden. It was my great-grandmother and great-aunt, my grandmother and Perry and Johnny, then my family. Um, I only had a handful of birthdays, parties. Being born in December is kind of ha- hard to have an outdoor party, a little cold, especially in South Carolina and Greenville upstate. But every once in a while, you'd have a warm summer or a war- warm winter, warm December, whatever. Y'all see seriously, pray pray for me. Um, because here's the deal: putting this thing together, I put together a keynote presentation. I had about 47 pictures on 36 slides. It was dynamic. I had trans, it was awesome. Pastor Ronnie would have been proud of me. And I was about to hit send on Friday to Pastor Will, so it'd be ready for the thing. And, and something said You're not supposed to use that. And I'm like, but Lord, I went through boxes of old pictures and I've taken pictures and scanned them. This thing is great. Only three pictures in that whole thing weren't of me. And the Holy Spirit said, Who are you talking about, Sunday? I mean, it's my testimony. The only other three pictures were of Renee and one of Jeremy and e, uh, Chelsea. And I went, but, but it's Friday. It's noon. I, you, hey. And so, like, the Holy Spirit talks to me, why don't you go pray some more? So we cut on the praise and worship, and we went in the office and prayed a little more and worshiped a little bit. And I felt God gave me a direction. And, and uh, so I put all that in notes in here and had all that ready. And the wife was gone for the weekend. So I had Friday night to watch NBA basketball and watch NCAA baseball and watch guy movies that women don't want to sit. They don't like guns and cars and all that other stuff, most women. So I, I don't go to bed till like 1.30 Saturday morning. And I went, I can sleep in Saturday because Renee's not here and the grass is cut and things are good. So I slept in until about 9.30 and went, man, you get up, had a bowl of Frosted Flakes. God speaks while you're eating Frosted Flakes. Had a bowl of Frosted Flakes. Things are going good Saturday. And I was planning on going to a men's thing at Mario's yesterday, and I felt uneasy again. You know when the Lord gives you a peace and you know it and things are good? You know what it's like when you don't have that peace? You think you, you think you have it, but then there's just something not right. Like a hair in a biscuit. You just, something's wrong. It was that feeling. Don't, don't tell me you've never been in a Hardee's omelet biscuit and pulled it back and went, man, and you had to put it. Don't tell me that's never happened to you. So I thought that, so I'm, I'm Saturday and I'm thinking, but I wanna go to Mario's because they're playing ping pong. And the Lord said, You're not playing ping pong today because we need to talk about something. I could have put 40 or 50 scriptures up today. I'm going to ask you to put one up and leave it during the service. Go ahead and put Psalm 37 for me. I think it's 23 through 25, preferably in the Holman. Here's what I know. I know that I can't see this even without glasses. I said I had a couple of birthdays. The last birthday party I remember was at the age of six years old. Perry and Johnny were mentally retarded, and children disturbed them. The kinetic activity and everything. Even I was bitten or slapped by Perry and Johnny at times in my life and my sister. And um, It was our sixth, my sixth birthday. It was warm outside. When I say warm in December, it was about 60. And we went outside to play, play some games. One of the boys, Michael Davis, got away from our group, went exploring our property. And Perry bit him. And it broke skin, made blood, the whole thing. Birthday party over. Birthday parties over. We couldn't have kids over in our property anymore because of the risk and what could happen, you know. In those days, they would send them back to certain homes for special people. So no more birthday parties till late teen years. I think it was about 13 or 14. I had one more. Um, But that was okay. I'm starting school, and I'm a very social person, if you don't know that. I like to talk, and I may or may not have had to write several papers during my school year for I will not talk during class. I will not make, you know. From the time of seven till about 12, second grade into fifth, into fifth grade, things happened to Perry and Johnny. They were in teen years and they were at a place called Witten Village, which was a home for mentally retarded and mentally handicapped people. And some things happened to them physically that manifested in my life in those five-year windows. And I never told anybody because I was scared that they would get in trouble and be sent back to that home because they would tell stories about the home in their own way. And my grandmother, mother, would tell me stories about why they pulled them out of there. I know this, that God, early in my life, was a protector. While there may have been some physical abuse, He protected my emotions and the innocence of my childhood through that. That that didn't scar me the way it could have in a lot of ways. Now, it developed and showed up in my life later in relationships with other women and things in my life. But in my childhood, I know that God protected me and he covered me in that time. Kids think their parents are the greatest in the world, most kids, up until teenage years. A lot of times, we as parents do a good job of putting on masks in front of our kids, and they don't know the reality of what's going on between mama and daddy. We're happy. Everything's great in our life, when in reality, it's falling apart. I had no clue that my parents were not happily married. At the age of 12, my mother served separation papers to my father. By the time I was 15, they were divorced. And at the age of 16, because my mother, during the separation, took my sister, five years younger, and they had moved to Alabama. I lived with my dad for about eight months. The company he was with was going to send him back to Danville, Virginia, the home office. And I said, I will not go with you because I was bound to determine I was going to play football at my high school for the Bulldogs. That was the most important thing in my life at that time. And so at the age of 16, I was living on my own. They call it couch surfing and whatever now. I didn't know that. I would just go and stay at the Davis's house or the Thompson's house or down at the Cantrell's house and just kind of, I farmed around. Every once in a while, I would stay at my grandmother's house. Did that till I graduated high school. One of the elders in the church saw that I was going nowhere because my parents weren't there. I was just, you know... All that be said, I graduated with a B average. I just didn't try. He said, I'll pay for your college if you go to a Christian school. Okay. Needs to be an AG school because we were assemblies of God. Well, I didn't want to go to Southwestern in Texas, too hot, too far. I didn't want to go to Evangel in Missouri because not too hot, but in the winter, too cold. Now, they did have a football team, so I could have walked on and played football. And they had baseball. But I'd been to Southeastern before, before in Lakeland, Florida, and I went beach, Tampa Bay, 45 miles, Daytona, hour and 20 minutes. I'm going to Lakeland, play baseball, get my degree, and become a youth pastor. Now, I fell in love the summer of my junior year to a, I thought she was the most prettiest thing in the world, blonde hair, blue eyes. She has short blonde hair, but I forgave her for it. <clears throat> we dated through junior year and senior year. I went to Florida. Her dad was a traveling salesman, worked for just for kids. Some of y'all may not know what that is anymore. It was a kid's store. They were based out of Florida, and he came down, and I asked him to dinner because I was going to ask for her hand in marriage, propose at Christmas, at the Christmas break, be engaged through college, then soon as graduated, married, and become youth pastor. Took him out to eat, steak dinner, saved up. I mean, I worked during that semester. Took him out to eat, told him the plan, and he said, you're not marrying my daughter. She's not going to live with a youth pastor. you never make money. You can't provide for my daughter. My do- and gave me why I couldn't marry her. I, she was anxiously waiting. A lot of quarters in the hallway, you know, in the dorms. We didn't have cell phones and all that. So uh, when my turn came to call home and talk to her about the night, your dad said, no. Well, we'll just, all these other plans that we started making, Hard to maintain a relationship from Florida to South Carolina. She eventually moved on. I was heartbroken. I went fine. Meantime, my mom moves back to Tennessee. Some car plant, some place built a built a car plant on a farm up here. And she said, I can get you on for the summer. You make about $9 an hour, but you got to work nights. Nissan has this program. And here I came. It beat 435 flipping burgers at Wendy's. So I moved to Smyrna, Tennessee in April of 86. Now I determined that I'll find a good church. I'll find a big church because I go into church about four or 500 in Florida. I came up here. I visited Murfreesboro Assembly. They had just had a church split, about 40 people. I came here one time in that building, and there was an old guy preaching. Who knew that it was his father? But in 86, I came. There were about 30 to 40 people, and I don't think there was anybody in the room under 40. There was a lot of old ladies and some old people and a few grandkids. Never came, never came to that church again. I just couldn't find a church. And I went, I'm only here for the summer. I can pray, do devotionals. I'll have my own relationship with God for three months and go back. This would be cool. Within six weeks, I was lost. Grew up in church, knew better, did all the Bible quizzes, did all the things, Royal Ranger, all these things that I excelled out in church as a kid, helped the youth. Within five to six weeks, it was, why don't you go to Wet Willies with us over here? There's a bar going toward Murfreesboro off of Murfreesboro Road just by Nissan. It's been all kinds of things. I think at the time it was the Wet Spot or Wet Willies. Just come shoot pool with us. You ain't got a drink. You can still be a church boy. So I went and shot pool on Friday mornings after work week or two goes by, it was shooting pool and nursing. I can have one beer. I'll nurse one beer. So I nursed one Michelob for two or three hours shooting pool. Within three months, by the end of the summer, I was a full-blown alcoholic, heathen. Everything that you don't do as a good Christian boy, I was doing. You know, drugs, relationships, the whole thing. I hated the interstate, so the only way I knew to get to party in Nashville was Murfreesboro Road. I'd drive up and down Murfreesboro Road. I'd, I'd shoot pool and get drunk Friday mornings, go home and sleep it off, take a nap, get up at 2.30, take a shower, get ready. Because I was going to Silverado's, baby. We, I had the jeans, the boots, the whole thing. We're going to honky-tonk and two-step and buy buckets of beer for everybody and dance with all the girls Every time I'd go, there used to be a place called Starwood and just past it was a church that had a big red sign, big red cross and a white dove. And every time I'd drive past that thing, you talk about the conviction of the Holy Spirit. To where on Fridays at 5 o'clock, there used to be KDF and it was weekends, party at 5, I'd crank that radio. And every time we passed that church, I'd find a way to play with the radio and look to the left-hand side of Murfreesboro Road. Three o'clock, coming home with my drunken stupor, I'd find a way to play with the radio and look to the right of that street so that I didn't have to see that sign. Working at Nissan, a brother about 12, 13 years older than me, Gary Baggett, material handler. I was a material handler for Floor Daniel, DMIS. We'd meet, play ping pong, shoot horse, do stuff like that, break and lunchtime. <clears throat> He heard all my stories about my family growing up, Granny, Mama Barfield, the whole thing. He knew my life before I became a heathen. So one Monday night, I'm coming in to work and uh, pull up at 2.30 break in the morning. And he said, Alan Mon, because we had a big friend that was Jamaican, so everybody was Mon. He said, Alan Mon, what are you doing? I said, oh, I got put on trash aisles and I got put in the, the boiler room and I've got to do paint plant tonight. And he looked at me and said, that, that's not what I'm asking you. I immediately knew what he was asking me. He just looked right in my soul and he said, what are you doing with your life? And I just broke. And I said, Gary... Man, there is no way God will ever forgive me of the stuff I've done in the last two years because I've known better. You know, the scripture about turning away and and I'm like, Gary, God can, there's just no way. I, I, I mean, I would like to get my life right, but you just don't understand. He'll never forgive me of this. And he looked me dead in the eyes and he said, brother, he already has. He said when he died on that cross, he took care of everything then. You just got to accept it and walk in it now because his forgiveness goes both ways, past and into the future. Had a lot to think about. I got up Tuesday, the shower, wiping away all the condensation off the mirror to shave and and just had an encounter with God because I couldn't see myself clearly. And I went, who are you? You're alive. And I asked God to forgive me in that bathroom. And I came to work that night, and I had a changed countenance. And I couldn't wait till first break at 1045 to find Gary because I wanted to tell him what happened. And I said, man, I know where I'm going to go to church. I said, there's this church going toward Nashville in Antioch. It's got this big red cross, and he went, and a white dove. Yeah, it's right by Starwood. Yeah. He said, that's where I go to church. He said, when we built the building, when we built that sign. We gathered around that sign, and anointed it with oil, and prayed that it would convict people driving back and forth from Murphy. Little did they know. I said, I can't wait till tomorrow. I'm ready to go to church. He said, well, you can't go tomorrow. It's Wednesday. Don't y'all have church in the... Well, we do it on Thursday so other people can come. So I went to church that Thursday night. Met the pastor and he said, this is the guy we've been praying for for eight months. God was already working. Already working. Already working. Well, now I'm saved and I'm at the church for a few months. Bad group of people at Nissan. So I talked to the pastor and they hired me on for $10 an hour to clean toilets instead of $13 an hour to work at the Nissan. Sure, that's a good deal. It was because there's not a dollar amount that you put on being saved and knowing who you are and being in the right family and getting out of the darkness and walking in the light. I'm 22 now, going on 23, and I'm ready to be married. I want a wife. And I made a list. Don't judge me. 11 spiritual things and 10 physical things. There, hey, hey, hey. There were 11 spiritual things. And they were very specific. She had to be a worshiper. She had to love God more than me. She had to, you know, there were all kinds of spiritual things there physical things. She needed to be long blonde hair, beautiful blue eyes, and a great smile. Body was in there too, tan, all that other stuff. But it was blonde hair, blue eyes, and a great smile. I proceeded, I was working at the church. Everybody knew me. I was custodian, helping in children's ministry. Now I'm working in the office. Within a year of being at that church, now I'm working in the office. I began to date at the age of 22. I dated every single girl. We were a church of about 500 at the time. I dated every girl between the age of 18 and 28. One time. Because I told God, I want to know. I'm going to ask them out. If they'll go out with me, great. We're going to go out. But I want to know if it's her. Had to be thirty-some odd women I dated within that year. Once, we're in the choir, choir robes back then, so you can't see your bodies. I'm a tenor, second row in the middle. We're dismissing after offertory, going up the side ramp to go hang our robes out and come back in, fill in the sanctuary. As we're walking out, I noticed a blonde-headed girl, five or six in front of me that was in the alto section. And I leaned back to my friend, Danny Knight, and I said, Danny, who's the new girl? He, I dated them all. Who's the new girl? He said, Rena, Renee, something. She's, but she's not new. She's been coming to church for about three or four months, or longer, maybe. She's been in the choir for three months. No, she hasn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. We go to the room to hang up the robes. I'm an S. She went to the same room, took my robe off, reached around her to grab the hanger from the S. And with only I could do, now I wasn't this big. I was 245. I was a good-looking guy back then. And all I could do is went, hi there, I'm Alan Smith. And these beautiful blonde eyes turned around and went, I know, my name's Renee. And I went, well, hi, Renee. And she hung her robe up, and I said, The singles group are going out after church to Shawnee's if you want to go. We're going to Bell Road. Well, sure, I'd love to. I dated her best friend. She's got a story to tell you. You dated my best friend and not me? We go to Shawnee's? Not a date. We have a concert. We did concerts quarterly. We had a lot of people, musicians and singers sitting on the front row because we were practicing. She gets up to sing. They were going to play about 15 seconds of your track to get everything queued up. Her track stops. She kept singing. I sat there and watched and went, that girl's not rehearsing. She's worshiping. And they just kept giving her the go on song because they were trying to fix it. And she just kept singing. And I sat on that front pew and I leaned over to my buddy Danny and I said, I'm marrying that girl. I am marrying her. Three dates later, ask for her hand in marriage. Seven months later of engagement, we get married. 32 years this past May. We tell everybody 29 happy years in three. Hmm, not so much. That that sounds like a joke. We're married, we're working with the youth in the singles department still. We leave, we felt like we were called to another church to work children and youth. We were sent with a blessing. Pastor Core. prays over, sends us, we go to this church. While we're there, we become friends with a couple who he plays for a country music band and drums. He's always going on the road. Renee and this person become good friends. And I'm there at the church doing children and, and youth. Did I mention I always wanna be a professional wrestler? Childhood, I always want to be a professional wrestler. When Jeremy was born, he was born preemie. I'd already been at wrestling school. He's born preemie. Who cares about wrestling? Your child's almost dying. Because what should have been the greatest moment of life, we have a child born on December the 15th. My birthday is the 10th. We're three days in the NICU at Murfreesboro. They go, we can't handle that. You know what it's like when you're, you're, she had a C-section? He had all kinds of stuff. He was turned around, all this other stuff. When they handed him to me and I get to show him to Renee, and then the nurse says, we need to take your son. There's a way that you can say that that totally freaks you out. And it did. Three days in the NICU, we got to take him to Vanderbilt. We can't handle it here. The fastest I've ever driven on 24 in a Buick Century. I was right behind that ambulance. Vanderbilt, NICU, seven days. All we wanted for Christmas that year was to have that kid home with us. We got a picture of a barren Christmas tree because we didn't have time to shop. We were at NICU all the time. We don't want anything. We just want our son home for Christmas. Praying stickers all over him, people pleading the blood of Jesus over him. 1120 something on Christmas Eve night, they discharged Jeremy Allen Smith and let us take him home. And we were home in our house before Christmas. Greatest Christmas we ever had. Jump forward a few years, you'd think, well, I would have learned by then. Hey, that kid cost me $120,000. That was my 20, that was our 20%. And in the next few years, we lived on credit cards and built $20,000 worth of debt. But God provided. We kid, we finally paid him off when he was 12. <laughs> we really did. He was 12, and we paid him off. We got that $20,000 down to about $3,200 now. We're just chipping it away, chipping it away. God has provided. He's a provider. You'd think i have got it straight. Went back to wrestling school. I'd gotten depressed, put on a lot of weight, about 380 pounds. I told Renee, I just had a moment. I said, I'm going to lose my weight and I'm going to go to wrestling school. And she said, go for it. I don't know. I did. Within a year, I got down to 260, had the long hair, the whole deal, had the gimmick, wrestled for about four and a half years with NWA. Every Friday and Saturday gone, some Thursdays. Sometimes twice on Saturday. When your husband's Your wives may have gone on a retreat. If you don't protect that relationship, the devil will destroy it. Oh, so there was an affair? Yeah, but it wasn't out in the wrestling world. It was within the church with her best friend. But we sat in the Shoney's parking lot on October 30th until it became Halloween talking about our whole lives. Divorce will never be an option because I saw what it did in my life. We will work it out. God will help us. It don't matter who's wrong and how bad it is. We're going to work this thing out. She reminded me of that. Brothers, you can destroy your trust in moments for stupid decisions. It took two and a half, three years to build that trust back with her. We went through counseling and fellowship, but she never quit praying. She kept people in the loop, praying over me. I had to call every every time I left work, every time I was going anywhere. I had to call and tell her where I'm going and how long I'd be. So when I say 32 years, 29, happy three, uh, yeah. God heals all that. We're going to leave that church. I got to wrap this up. We're going we're to leave that church because the pastor and my best friend had a single car accident and died, and it destroyed me. I was mad at God. I had it. I'm out. Six weeks wandering around, figuring it out. But I knew I had to have my kids in church. But on the day after Mikey had had his wreck, Pastor Ronnie and Pastor Wayne met me on the 10th floor of Vanderbilt, off the elevator, hugged me and said, whatever you need, we're here. And that never left me. Had lunch with Pastor Ronnie. I said, I think we're going to come to your church, but we're not doing anything. We're just going to be there because my kids need to be in church. Worship team, if you'll come on. Sure, come on. (laughs) Pastor Ronnie's a sneaky guy sometimes. Yeah, come on. We'd love to have you. September of 2000. First Sunday here. About a month later, Renee and I are just going nuts because we can't sit still. Come back, says, is there anything we can do? He said, Margaret needs three and four-year-old Sunday school teachers. Got it. For the next two years, we taught three and four-year-olds. Then we got in praise and worship. Then taught fourth and fifth grade Sunday school. And we've kind of been in everything that you can get into at this church because God is faithful. God is faithful. Here's what I know. this is who God and Jesus has been to me. A man's steps are established by the Lord and he takes pleasure in his way. Though he falls, he'll not be overwhelmed because the Lord holds his hand. I've been young and now I'm older. Yet I've not seen the righteous abandoned or his children begging for bread. I don't know if you've suffered abuse, domestic or physical I don't know if you're a product of divorce. Here you go, Johnny. I don't know if you've been involved in an affair. I don't know if you stood outside that infant's window feeling the most helpless you've ever been in your life because there's nothing you can do for that child. I don't know if you've lost one of your closest friends to death and wondered why God. But what I will tell you is this, God is enough. Jesus is enough. He's enough of a healer. He's enough of an emotional restorer. He's enough of a marriage mender. He's enough of a financial provider. I don't have a lot of money, but I don't lack for anything. I don't live in a 3,000 square foot home, but I've got a roof on my head. With everything that I did in two years, I don't deserve anything in my life, but I am one of the most blessed men that I know. I've got a wife of 32 years that put up and would not let go. She held on to God when I couldn't, and He healed our relationship and our marriage. I have a son that's 27, that's married, and got a godly wife. I've got a daughter that's in another country right now serving on the mission field and I have the honor to call you my family he is enough as they sing this song whatever it is whatever it is he is more than enough for you this morning so as they sing are we going to have prayer for those that want to come forward let's pray those that will pray with folks I'll come down there and pray with you If you're facing a struggle marriage, if you're facing anything and you need to know the God of more than enough, he's here and he'll meet
0: you here.